Well, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. Psalms 23 is where we're going to be today as we finish up this series called Soundtrack. And uh, we've basically been looking through some of the key psalms in the Bible uh, that we uh, understand uh, that they were, these were actually songs that people used to sing. A lot of times we pick up the Bible and we start reading and we don't realize that like, hey, this was, this part of it here was actually put to music and people sung it. And the whole book of Psalms is literally filled with love songs, uh, songs about being angry, songs about being joyful, all kinds of different songs, ballads, anything that you can think of. And uh, we've been looking over the last few weeks over some of these key uh, songs that we play out in our life. And we started by understanding that uh, we, we looked at Psalms 1 kind of as this title track and said, you know, really we're playing one of two tracks in our life. We're either playing songs of righteousness or songs of wickedness. One of those two. You can't play both at the same time. And then we, we looked at vice versus virtue. You know, are we going to be controlled by sin? Or are we going to seek the things of God? Then we talked about depression versus dependence for the last few weeks. And how do we not just get over feeling depressed, but how do we learn to depend on God to really break through that barrier and begin to step forward? And today, uh, we're going to close out this series by looking at another very challenging and very uh, uh, popular psalm, but one that puts a, a strong message in front of us as well. Psalm 23 is a beautiful Psalm. And to be honest, I actually hear it more at funerals than I do anywhere else. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably either heard the 23rd Psalm spoken or seen it written on the back of a little handout. And it's that way because there's one verse in there that says, Lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and staff, they guide me. That's the only part that talks about death. And as a matter of fact, the valley of the shadow of death was not actually talking about death. It's, it's an actual place in geography that people would actually talk about. And Psalm 23 actually has more to do with life and how we live than it has to do with death and what happens after death. The thing we know about this psalm, it was written by King David to the best of our knowledge, who was one of the most prolific songwriters and psalms writers of all time. And, uh, and while we don't know necessarily the occasion that this was written on, it is clear as we study ancient Jewish traditions that this song was probably one of the most popular of all time. We didn't just find it once. It is found written many, many times. It was a song that lasted the ages. It's still an integral part of Jewish tradition today. If, you're gonna, if you were going to find like that one hit song of all time, Psalm 23 is it. I mean, it was, it's probably been put to, it's probably been remade a thousand times. Sixteen cover bands have done it. I mean, it, is, it has just been done more than you can imagine. Psalms 23 is that kind of song. I mean, when I, when I think of songs like that, I think of like Journey, Keep Believing. You know, I mean, it's those kind of songs. As soon as you hear the first two or three notes, you're like, I know that song. I love that song. It makes you feel something. And so um, as we look at this song, I want you to understand it in that context that it was, it has been an encouragement to people throughout the ages. What we're going to read what we're going to look at today has impacted people's lives for literally thousands of years. And I believe one of the reasons it is so popular, because it gives us a great, very clear picture of how God challenges us to follow him in such a way that we stop worrying about challenges in our life and obstacles and barriers that we face, and we simply learn to rely on him and start wondering how God's going to come through. 
It's this really change of thinking, change of thought process that we move from worrying and like, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble, to like, what's God going to do? What's God going to do? That's moving from worry to wonder. And it's still, as much as it had impact on the day it was written, it is still having impact today. So today we're going to look at this psalm and challenge ourselves to begin to play this soundtrack of wonder in our life. But if it deals with worry, if it's actually starting to talk about worry, I want to start with a very simple question that does not have a simple answer, which is this. Why do we worry? Why do you and I worry? As a saying, worry does not even add a single moment to our days. Worry is a, you know, it's something we all deal with. It's probably as soon as I said that word, whatever you're worrying about right now probably came into your mind. You're like, oh, oh, like it's just this feeling of overwhelming that, that comes in. What causes us to lose sleep? What causes our mind to be consumed by thoughts to grow anxious, nervous, and even reckless in our behavior? Why do we worry? You know, and here's what we do. We could sit here and come up with a whole list of things that we worry about, right? I mean, am I going to be able to, to pay my bills? Am I going to be able to, you know, fix this relationship? And I'm going to be able to finish this project at work. How am I going to overcome this barrier or this obstacle? And here's why we worry, I believe. It's because we believe that if we can eliminate these things from our life, then I won't worry anymore. All right, so if I come into a barrier in my life, I come into a challenge, a a shortcoming that I have, something that's causing a problem in me, if I worry about it and I start working hard enough and I figure out how to break through that, I'm never going to deal with that again. Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever found that to be true? Have you ever found that once you break through a tough relationship, that there's not another tough relationship sitting on the other side of that barrier waiting to hit you again? Maybe it's not coming right at you, but it's coming down the road. And we think the elimination of the object of our worry will actually eliminate our worry, and it's not true. We looked at a verse this last week, and I want to bring it back this week. John 16.33 says this, It says, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus was very clear, you're going to have troubles. You cannot do anything to eliminate troubles, barriers, obstacles, shortcomings from your life. You can't do it. And here's how we think, when we think we worry enough, we keep worrying, we're going to get rid of this. It doesn't happen. And here's what we've got to do. Instead of thinking we've got to eliminate, instead of the elimination of things to worry about, know that that will never happen. Our goal is to begin to learn how to navigate through them. It's not to eliminate them. It's to navigate through them. We worry because we don't see the way through, the way around, and we can't seem to think of a way to get over it. I want to tell you, worry has one job in your life. Only one job. Worry doesn't make you work harder, faster, more effectively. It doesn't come up with a solution. Here's what worry does. Worry has the one job in your life of robbing you. It robs you. Worry robs you of your perspective, your persistence, and your peace. When I allow worry to reign in my life, I end up thinking more about the problem than I do about the solution, and it steals my perspective. It robs it from me. I end up spending more time trying to figure out how to not get further behind instead of pushing ahead, and it stops my persistence. I stop moving. 
Stop just trying not to go back. And end up being consumed with this idea that these barriers and these deficiencies were bigger than, than me or God. And it steals my peace. I have no peace in my life. Worry isn't a tool. It's a thief. It is a thief. The more you allow it into your life, the more it will steal from you. Allowing worry to reign in your life is literally like inviting a kleptomaniac into your home and giving them the key. That's what worry is. My, uh, my mom and dad redid a home in, uh, in Alabama in a little town called Eufaula. It's a very historic area. They bought this old home that was decrepit and falling down, and they moved into it and redid it and got it onto a show home tour. I mean, it was amazing. They, they saw potential, and I thought they were crazy. But they had this beautiful home, and I was working at a church uh, not too far from there, just a couple hours away, and I was coming over to visit them, and I was bringing this friend of mine from church. And sometimes I like to pull pranks on my mom, and uh, she sometimes figures them out, and sometimes she doesn't. And so as I'm calling her, I told her, I said, hey, mom, I'm bringing a friend of mine, a guy who just started coming to church, but I need to tell you something. He's dealing, he's, he's struggling overcoming kleptomaniacs. He was a kleptomaniac. He likes to steal things. I said, you you might want to hide some things. And I didn't tell my friend that I told my mom that. He really worked with me at the church. He, you know, so, he, so we like go. And like I, I see my dad like in the corner all the time, like just keeping an eye on my friend Steve, like wherever he went. And like I noticed the silver had gotten put up in the drawers and, and stuff like that. And my mom's just, she's a little sweating, a little nervous. And Stephen, my friend, was like, what's wrong with your parents? So I finally told him that everybody off the hook. But it's this idea that we, we invite sometimes people into our lives like that. We, when we invite worry into our lives, it's like inviting a kleptomaniac that says, come in and take whatever you want. Take my joy. Take my peace. As a matter of fact, here's a key. We just let it have free reign in our life. So let's kick this thief out. Let's lock the door of our souls to worry. Let's bar the door and say no more. How do we do that? Well, that's a great thing because that's what Psalm 23 talks about. So let's begin. Psalm 23 verse 1 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, this opening line is a great reminder and evaluating statement that makes you ask this question. Who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? Psalms 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So when we read that, we understand there's probably other choices that we can make to make our shepherd. He has chosen to make the Lord his shepherd. And the only way to kick worry to the curb and to step it, stop it from stealing from you is to not allow worry to be your shepherd. What is your shepherd? Let me tell you what a shepherd is. In its simplest form, a shepherd is a caregiver. It's someone that looks out for something that is more vulnerable than itself. A shepherd isn't just the person in front of the pack. As a matter of fact, a shepherd usually leads the sheep from the middle of the pack, from amongst them. And here's why worry is a horrible shepherd. Because it always keeps the things you need just ahead of you, just out of reach. It keeps you longing and wanting. Where he says here, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Worry, if worry is your shepherd, you will always be in want. When you get to where you thought you would have no more worry and you finally met up with what you thought you need, 
it has moved on to something else. Worry doesn't care about you. Worry as a shepherd reminds me of this. Sometimes on my phone when I'm on the train, I have some games that I play. And uh, just to pass some time on the train. And worry reminds me of like these never-ending games, right? Like Candy Crush or something like that, where there's always another level. There's more, and they're wanting you to buy lives, and it's just 99 cents. It's just a little bit more. And like all of a sudden, you get your bill, and you're like, how did I spend $39 on Candy Crush? You know, I've never done that. But it's like, you know, one more level. There's never an end point. It just keeps stringing you along. And the only goal of Candy Crush is not for you to enjoy it. It's for you to spend 99 cents every few days so that it's taking your money. And that's what worry does. It's this never-ending game in your life that's like, hey, you thought you're done. No, no, no. Next level. Next level. And you don't have enough resources to do this level. So you worry about it. Next level. Worry. Next level. It's a horrible shepherd. Worry does not care about you. It instead creates a lacking and a longing that never provides the solution. It isn't that worry is a shepherd that won't lead you places. It's just that it will continue to lead you in circles. You'll never get anywhere. Instead, the psalmist David tells us that his shepherd is the Lord. And the Lord is the shepherd is the exact opposite of worry. He will never leave you wanting. When we replace worry with a sense of wonder toward the Lord, we stop chasing the lure of solutions to our problems, and instead start experiencing peace in the midst of our problems. We stop thinking, if I can just get this one solution, and we start living instead in the peace. In the rest of this chapter, David lays out for us why allowing the Lord to shepherd you won't leave you wanting, but instead will leave you fulfilled, complete, and lacking nothing. And the amazing thing is that allowing the Lord to shepherd you isn't based on something that you have to do. The rest of this chapter isn't like, all right, go do this, 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 and this, and then you're good to go. Instead, it's a realization of what the Lord has already done, will do, and will continue to do for you, no matter what barrier you're facing. It it reminds me of this. It's literally when you come to a barrier, instead of trying to blow it up and get, get through it, The Lord says, if you will trust me, I'll give you like a ladder. And I'll tell you the steps of how to get over this as you trust me. Just follow one step, next step, next step. So let's take a look at the steps that God gives us and his provision to help us get over any barrier you face. First thing is in Psalm 23, 2, first part, it says this. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Isn't that a beautiful just thought? PJ was working all day yesterday. He, like, he's tired right now. And I know if I said, PJ, just go lay down. He'd be like, oh. <laughs> he's shaking his head, yes. That feeling, you ever had that just overwhelming, tired feeling? Michael is working some overnight shifts sometimes. And I know sometimes when he gets home, it's just that idea of, oh, just lay down, rest, and relax. The bed has never felt better. And that's what Paul is saying. The Lord always provides rest. But the thing about rest is this. It's something that you and I must choose to take. It's something that you and I must step into. So many times in my life, I pray to God for rest, and then I get up and start doing things. I start working again. I start trying to make it happen. I start moving again. Instead, he says, while this verse 
that this verse says that you and I, he provides it. He makes us lay down, but he doesn't force us to rest. We can choose to get up and keep working, but he says, please lay down. Reminds me of the difference between PJ and Natalie growing up. PJ, we would go put him into bed as a baby, and I don't care what we would do. Try, like we would come back out, and in five minutes, here he comes. I just want one more drink of water. I just want this. Like he was hard to keep in the bed and rest. Natalie, Natalie, like there was one day we were looking around. We could not find Natalie. Like the doors were locked. We don't know where. We, we walk up. She's in her bed. She has put herself down for a nap. I'm like, what kid does this? But this is the difference, right? I mean, we sometimes, when we worry, we just constantly get up like, I got to do something else. I got to do something else. Instead of just going and resting. Resting. When we rest, here's what we do. We stop everything. Body, soul, mind. We stop. We just stop. That's a hard step. It's a very hard step. It sounds easy. It says, okay, I can... But just stopping. Stop trying to solve the problem. And instead rest in God and engage fully in his presence. Instead of just stopping, it's not that we empty our mind, it's that we start to fill our mind with the truth of God. That's what resting is. And we become overwhelmed with him. And this is why wonder is so different than worry. Worry tells us to get up, go do something, stop wasting time. Where wonder tells us to stop, listen, take in the presence of God and allow him to rejuvenate you. Just stop and rest. Rest isn't being lazy. It's not. We live in a culture that tells us, you know, oh, you sleep late, you're lazy. You took a nap in the afternoon, you're lazy. I looked up the science of napping because I like to take a nap sometimes. Like, it, we, are, we are one of the few animals in this world. It's about 95% of all animals take naps during the day. And like we're, I think God even designed us to physically rest more often than we do. And I'm not just talking, resting is not just saying, Patrick gave me permission to go home and take a nap every afternoon. If you need a nap, take a nap. But we need to spiritually as well. Sometimes we think, I've got to be doing something for God instead of just being with God. Just stop and be with God. The Lord provides rest. Take it. Take it. Second thing is in verse, second part of verse 2, and it says, not only does he make me lie down uh, in green pastures, but he leads me beside still waters. The Lord always provides refreshment. Refreshment. When the shepherd leads his flock to still waters, it's for one purpose, so that they can drink. They're coming to drink, and he provides still water so that the sheep don't get in there, and their, their wool gets so heavy from the water, and the rushing waters would sweep them away. He takes them to a safe place for refreshment and to drink. He wants them to drink so that they'll be refreshed, renewed, and ready for the next journey. And refreshment comes when I begin to really desire the things of God above anything else. To desire God. So it's, if rest is stopping, refreshment is beginning to desire God, to want to drink of him and to drink that more than anything else. Nothing else can quench that thirst. You ever had those moments, maybe it was after running or just been hot and you've been working a long day and you just haven't had anything to drink in a while and you take that nice glass of cold 
water and you begin to drink it. And like you can feel it like literally going all through. And you're just like you feel almost refreshed and renewed. And that is what happens when we do this, when we allow the Spirit of God, when we desire it, and we start to find our refreshment in Him, it literally revives us. It revives us. And this is what worry is like. When worry is the exact opposite. It's like drinking salt water. It's like we drink it and we think it's actually quenching our thirst, but it's actually creating more thirst within us. We think we're doing something, we're accomplishing, um, but it's like drinking salt water. It'll eventually kill you. Instead, drink into the fresh, full water of God's love, grace, and mercy. God provides, the Lord provides refreshment. Would you take it? Would you take it? Third thing is in verse 3 and 4, and it says this. The Lord, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, just like rest and like refreshment, that are their invitations of the Lord makes to us, so is the invitation to walk with him. To walk with him. And the restoration of our souls is dependent upon that. Because as we walk with him, the Lord provides direction. He provides direction for us. He talks about right paths. Here's the right way to walk. He even talks about in this, he leads you through dark paths. He'll be with you through dark paths and even says impossible paths. The valley of the shadow of death, these impossible paths in our life. When we don't see a way, he will walk and lead us through it. Here's what a shepherd did. He says, the, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you. When I think about a rod and a staff, I don't really think of comfort. Like, you know, I've, like that's, that's a shepherd holding his little rod and staff. I mean, he used that to, like, beat off animals. That rod and that staff was literally one of the most precious gifts to the sheep that he had because here's what it did. One, it was his weapon to fight off threats. But also, when they were going through these impossible passes, through these mountain passes, there were, the, the sheep could not get through. Do you know why the, the shepherd's thing is hooked at the end? He would literally reach down, hook them by their neck, and pull them up to safety and over. It was a purpose. He would lead them through impossible paths, a place they could not get on their own. And this is what God does for, for us when we begin to walk with him. The Lord says, look, you're going to come to a place where it is too much for you. Too much. But I don't leave you there. My rod and my staff, I see the way. And if you'll follow me, I will get you over and through. That's what walking with the Lord does. It's a step-by-step process. Where worry keeps us walking in circles walking with the Lord and walking in a wonder of what he's going to do, we will get over things that we never could get over without him. Can I tell you why some of us in here have never gotten over certain things in our life? It's because we allow worry to be our shepherd. We've been walking with worry and we get to a barrier and we say too much and we walk and we turn around and we start walking again and we hit it again and we just keep walking in these circles. And the Lord is standing here saying, stop. Stop, just stop. Get refreshed, get energized, and I'm going to help you over if you'll follow me. Stop worrying and start wondering. He always provides direction. Take it. Verse 5 says this. 
Now you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is such a crazy picture. He prepares a table, a banquet table, right in the middle of a war in front of your enemies. He's like, hey, you're in the middle of a fight? It's banquet time. Come on. I mean, that's kind of a crazy picture, but what we see here is the Lord also always provides nourishment. We think that in the middle of a fight, at, our, at the key moment, what we have to do is just work harder, do more, and actually we're running on empty. And the Lord says, look, in the middle of your most difficult moment, stop and find nourishment in me. Come to the banquet table. Take it all in. I've got it all for you. Whatever you like. Steak, potatoes, chicken if you're vegetarian. I'm sure he's got a vegan menu on the side. Whatever you like, it's there. God created quinoa just like he created the cow, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure about tofu, though. But, uh, but it, we've got these. God wants to refresh us, nourish us. And when we begin to consume not just his presence, but his word that he has given us, it is like fuel for our soul. It, it replenishes us. And when we, when we consume worry, what worry does is it leaves us longing for more. It doesn't fill us up. It's like that feeling you get after Halloween when you finish off the candy bowl. Like you're full, but you don't feel good. Right? You're like, why did I do that? <laughs> Homer's shaking his head. <laughs> it's like, we, we have, that's worry. Where God is, when you eat healthy, you feel rejuvenated and energized. God gives you nourishment, take it. But the thing I love about that is he invites you to his table with him, which I think is just as important. He doesn't say, hey, here's something. He says, come to my table. And it's this idea that you are with him. You're having this meal with him. Right in the presence of your enemies, he's with you. Can I tell you some of my favorite meals that I look back on is not what I ate, but who I ate with. It's who I spent time with. It's the people that were around that table. And that's what God's saying, look, come find your nourishment, not in just what I provide, but find it in me. God provides, the Lord provides nourishment. Take it. The last thing is in chapter, or verse 6, and it says this. And, and the thing about verse 6 is actually the first statement that tells us what will happen if we start doing this. It says, if you do this, then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we choose to find our rest, refreshment, direction, and nourishment in the Lord instead of worry, he says your life is going to start to produce something completely different. It says goodness and mercy will literally follow you throughout your day, throughout your life. Something unique changes in our life. Instead of the fruits of worry, which are anxiety, unease, uncertainty, regret, that's what we're leaving behind. We start leaving a trail of goodness and mercy in our lives. We start to see obstacles and opportunities as a way for God to demonstrate his faithfulness instead of a lack of God's faithfulness. 
We start to allow ourselves to wonder how God's going to come through instead of worrying what I need to do to solve this problem. It becomes this natural thing. Every barrier we face, every obstacle, every personal shortcoming and difficulty that comes into our lives is a chance for us to leave a trail of goodness and mercy when we allow God and the Lord to overwhelm us and we start to wonder instead of worry. The thing I love about these verses is this. I can understand after teaching through this and listening through this why this song was so popular. Why it's still so popular today. But I got to be honest, way too many times in my life do I play the flip side first. I play worry first without even thinking about it. Something bad happens. I see a personal shortcoming in my life. I see a barrier that I don't think I can overcome. And my first thought is not, God, what are you going to do? It's what do I have to do? And we play the side of worry way too often. So my question for you today is this. The next time you come face to face with a barrier, with a deficiency or a challenge, will you Will we, instead of picking up this axe of worry that we think we've got to chop through this barrier, will you instead pick up the ladder of wonder and let God begin to allow you and lead you to triumph over that barrier? And this starts with playing the round sprite soundtrack in our life because we can't get to wonder until we actually start playing these other things that we've been talking about, until we start playing righteousness in our life, until we start playing virtue in our life and a dependence on God, then we can get to wonder. Do you want to know why sometimes we get to worry? Is because we allow the tracks of wickedness to play in our life and vice and depression to get us to this overwhelming sense of dread. This isn't just pick and choose. This is a process. And I want to challenge you to begin to play the right soundtrack in your life. And that starts with identifying when you're playing the wrong one. Saying, I'm not playing that anymore. I'm turning that station off. Taking that out. Skipping that one and putting on a different song. Identifying when the tracks of wickedness and vice and depression and worry are playing and choosing to hit stop. Stop listening to the wrong station, the wrong side of the record, and start playing the songs that bring you true pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope for your life on a daily basis. Let's pray together.